0: This is the Strength Beyond Fitness Podcast, a Build Body Fitness production
1: brought to you by Coach Louise
0: and Coach Renee, where we talk about simple principles to train your mind, transform your body, and maybe even change your life. With it being spooky season, it only seems fitting that we're going to be talking about the living dead Okay, actually, no. We're gonna be talking about the deadlift, which is essential to everyday living. I apologize now for that terrible dad joke, but it was a must. I couldn't help it.
1: It's it's part of who you are. I don't know
0: the look you just <laughs> gave me now of like you didn't you didn't why? Uh,
1: these are your intros. Uh, yeah, no, it's cool. It's we're gonna be talking about deadlifts and uh, like some people are actually terrified of. Uh, just seeing deadlift like you've talked you've told your grandma before like oh my gosh grandma i deadlifted this and she's like what my grandma
0: gets so worried whenever i show her she's like sweetie don't hurt yourself i'm like trust me i won't but
1: or or even normal like not even grandparent age like you know sometimes like at church or something we're talking to somebody that doesn't really know us just because they don't follow our instagram they're you know, we keep that kind of, like, life separate between church and our, our work and stuff, but, you know, they hear we're trainers, and we talk like, yeah, we help people deadlift. Oh, my gosh, like, yeah, I I, I can't do that. Like, I, I don't want to hurt my back, or like, oh, I, I had a friend that, that got hurt so bad deadlifting, or like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, that's a, that's a little, that's a little advanced for me. I, I like to just keep it really simple, and, and run, or, or just do a little bit of weight as to my own house, you know, like, there's just, just,
0: there's and such a negative connotation, but what I've noticed and what I used to do with my clients uh, back in my Vasa days was I would never call it a deadlift to uh, my female clients, especially those that were over a certain age. I would just say, oh, we're going to work on a hinge. Mm-hmm. And when you market it as a hinge, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, we hinge all the time. These are different ways that we hinge. And suddenly there were a lot open to it. And then next thing you know, they have a barbell and... They're like deadlifting, but they almost had to be carefully guided into it.
1: Mm -hmm. I see that. Uh, I don't think I've ever hit the name deadlift. You always combine it. So I'm like, all right, guys, we went or or, 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 what I'm talking to my kid today. I'm going to teach you like the hinge. Uh, And this hinge is typically performed to do a deadlift. So um, I let him know I've never, I've never kind of like disguised it, but it's for that reason. So if they're, because my goal is for somebody to feel comfortable working out on their own at any point with them with a friend, with a group fitness class, like at a group training gym. Like my goal is that every person I work with can at one point feel comfortable on their own. So if they go a place and they see deadlift, they're like, Uh, I've never deadlifted or I don't know how to and then you know the coach might show the movement's like, Oh, that's a hinge. Like, I want them to immediately be like, oh, deadlift hinge. Like, oh, I know how to deadlift. That's a hinge. So I combine them.
0: You make me sound like so sneaky and manipulative. No, <laughs> not, not, making you, like not
1: making you sound sneaky. I'm just letting you know, like, I've never done that. So it's just an interesting idea that you do that for females.
0: It's easing them into it. It's making it feel safe because, you know, when you think of a deadlift, you typically think of there's a big barbell with a ton of plates on it. And there's... As you should.
1: No, I'm just kidding. And
0: there's <laughs> very few people that all start them with the movement using a barbell most of them it's as you know you start them off just with a hip lift and see how they do with that simple hip lift. See where their stability is. Have them bring their hands behind their heads, bring their hips back. Like so do a good morning. Doing a good morning. Right. It's not like a heavy, heavy lift yet. It's how can you hinge your hips? Let's work on hinging your hips. Let's work on adding in weight little by little. Mm-hmm. And I know you want to dive into the variations there are of a deadlift and there are of a hinge. But I think it's understanding that yes, this will lead to a stronger deadlift. But if you're so petrified of a name, giving that negative power to a name, you have to be kind of careful. I think how you introduce some stuff, kind of like
1: I disagree. But that's what this conversation, like this podcast, about is just being honest and giving our opinions. Like a a hinge, for example, like that's a completely different thing than a deadlift, though. So the mechanics of a deadlift involve a hinge, but like you just said, get putting your putting putting your hands behind your arms and doing a good hands morning. Hands behind your head. Sorry, putting your hands behind your arms. It is ten o'clock, guys. Just kidding. Uh, putting your hands behind your head and hinging back for a good morning. That's not a deadlift. Putting a band around your hips and doing a like a hip a hinge pull. Like a, a band that is on the anchor point. You have your you you're your standing inside the band and you're letting your hips go back and then pulling. That's not a deadlift, a which is why
0: I called it a hinge. No, no, but it's these movements that can help you build a stronger deadlift.
1: Yes, correct. It's the mechanics that will help you understand it. Correct. correct. And there's
0: very few people that you're going to actually start them at a barbell, unless maybe it was a group fitness class and they came to you and said, "Yeah, I've done this before." Usually, if you're working with someone new, you don't instantly throw a barbell at them.
1: Right, right. If there's if it's an unexperienced person, I'm not gonna just throw a barbell at them. Uh, you know, we'll start with the mechanicals of it, and and really, that's the, the, the big thing that that we want to be able to share today is, you know, what the hell is a deadlift? Why is it important? How can you use it in your own personal workout? in your everyday life
0: how are you currently already doing it and how can you do it more efficiently
1: exactly and interestingly enough like i've met people that have had you know terrible back pain and will refuse to do a deadlift but then do other crazy movements that are actually worse for your back but they're afraid they won't do the deadlift because in their mind that deadlift is what's causing more back pain and then I've seen the vice versa where I'll even put myself in that category where I've had a super jacked up back and I won't do other movements and I'll only do deadlift because they truly strengthen my back and at no point during the movement have I ever had any back or trigger pain uh, as a as a in a a competitive mindset of deadlifting. Um,
0: I think the big thing you first need to do, and we talked about this in a previous episode with your old manager, is defining what pain is. Mm -hmm. There are certain types of pain that are telling you, hey, you need to move more, and other types of pain that are saying, hey, you need to stop whatever you're doing. And that can be scary too when you start training for deadlifts of, starting to use your ql and if you're not familiar with what that feels like to actually activate that muscle Mm -hmm. it can be alarming of i'm feeling pain in my back is this the type of back pain that people are suffering from or is it something different and so whenever like someone mentions back pain i have them describe like okay are you feeling it long ways like From hip bone to hip bone? Are you feeling it in your tailbone? Is it in your mid back? Like where in your back are you feeling pain? What type of pain? Because there is going to be some sort of discomfort, which is your muscles being used. So just like you would have discomfort in your quads or the muscle in front of your leg, um, between your knee and your hip, like you're gonna have some discomfort from the muscle being used in a squat it's going to be similar of your ql is going to feel some things it shouldn't feel like it's breaking but it can be alarming if you're not used to using it
1: yeah i mean so what's a ql for those that don't know
0: i'm gonna mispronounce it (laughs) quadratus lumbarum
1: that's pretty close i'm I'm pretty sure that's it um and a lot of people Have no idea what it is. Like I've pointed it out, and they just like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that 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 what muscle was there or what that was called. And it essentially is two muscle groups. They're symmetrical, so you have your right and your left, QL, and they they attach to the sacrum, and then you have your lumbar. So they attach to each vertebrae to your lumbar, and then you have hanging ribs. I believe you have two or three hanging ribs, and it connects to I want to say the last two hanging ribs. So this QL is attached to ribs, vertebrae, sacrum, and your sacrum is basically your hip. And just like your bicep, whenever you do bicep curls or anything bicep and your bicep burns and it feels just like, oh my gosh, I can't do one more curl, the same thing can happen with the QL. Whenever you're using it and and I'm not saying you're flexing and extending like a bicep, but even just holding it uh, a Stable and not really running your back. So it's kind of like a plank in a way You're using that QL and because it's connected to that vertebrae The vertebrae has two sets of nerve channels And you feel it a lot more and then there's that fear that that like people naturally have of hurting their back and they let that kind of that that muscle being being not just used but challenged, being hypertrophied so that it can grow stronger they let that kind of uh just, fear them it lets it lets them fear them to be like oh my gosh my back hurts and i just during workout even post-workout
0: what's crazy is I feel like more people get injured. I have no statistic for this. This is literally just observation. I feel like I've heard of more people getting hurt, picking stuff up around the house, especially, especially lawn work there. Mm. I hear more people getting hurt during lawn work than doing deadlifts. Typically the reason people will get injured in a hinging movement is because it's not loaded properly. Either you're rushing through it, you're being sloppy, or you're doing what I call the dog pooping position. And it's exactly what you, what you see. Um, imagine a dog outside pooping. That rounding of the low back, the tucking in of the tail, the shoulders shrunk forward, where there's some people that firmly believe you can have that position. And if you hold it the entire time, it is safe. And I personally don't agree with that. I have big feelings on it. I think you need to know how to properly load not just your core, your glutes, your hamstrings. You need to know how to actually load it using your upper back muscles, Mm -hmm. your lats. And as someone who has been injured from ego, um, there is a very big difference between injuring your back due to a terrible lift and challenging my back with proper form. Mm-hmm. And that was a lesson that really sucked to learn, but it has made me a lot more respectful of the lift. Yeah. And so I'm I'm saying this early of like this is coming from someone who has been injured from a deadlift, and I'm still a hundred percent no, I believe everyone from women that are pregnant to my grandma should be doing some sort of deadlifting in their strength training intentionally. And for those who don't know, back in April, I was doing a program and I don't love sumo deadlift. I see the value in it and we'll dive into like the benefits of it But it's a lift for me that is really hard. People joke about their feelings of negativity towards a Bulgarian split squat. I struggle with a sumo just because it's hard for me. It takes a lot more thinking. And I had rushed through a movement. And I had done heavier than I ever had. I didn't do it with a belt. And Luis is in the room. He He can testify. I was being a total just... I was being stubborn. And then at one point I went for the lift and I heard a snap and I just collapsed to the floor. I started crying really freaking hard because I've never felt something that intense that took my breath away. It literally felt like I just got hit with a ton of bricks and knowing the location of Mm -hmm. the QL totally makes sense. Why? But instantly felt the floor just laid there crying, hyperventilating. We were luckily able to get into a pt the same day because we have connections and yes i have no shame admitting i called a pt before i called urgent care because straight up if i went to urgent care they would have just gave me medicine and i don't want to just have pills i want to have movements to make me feel better and so we waited about an hour i laid on the floor with my feet elevated on the bed and then once we got there he did a full assessment kind of seeing my walking seeing where it was weak and I felt like an old lady. The way I was walking was almost comical. I looked pathetic. Straight up, I looked pathetic. But um, after about like a week of Luis not letting me lay in bed for too long, he was very adamant of, you need to move. You don't need to go swing a kettlebell, but like you need to like not lay there too long. It's going to get worse. And slowly easing back in, I would say... I feel like I'm mostly recovered now. I started doing sumo deadlifts again about a month ago. But I told myself I couldn't start the same program until I was done being afraid of the lift because there's a difference between being afraid and respecting a movement. And if we get anything out of this, I really hope that you see any sort of strength training, but especially deadlifting. Like these movements... There's a difference between being aware and afraid and every movement you do, whether it is a light ten pounds or it is three hundred and ten pounds, you should respect it with the same amount of respect and awareness. And it's really hard when ego gets in the way.
1: Yeah, and no, I I wanted to pause you on the story, but actually we're not we're Pretty pretty powerful in sharing it. So, um, I want to go go back to it because it's it's a, it is it is a very important part. Not just in your training, but I feel like at one point, anyone anyone can experience what you did. Maybe not to the uh, level of injury, but they're gonna get to a point where there's there's maybe stubbornness. Um, there might be just not quality movement throughout it, uh, or they might just be fear. So. Um, I, I I think it's very valid and I want to jump back into it, but I want to kind of backtrack and yeah, no, I want to backtrack and we have said a lot about the deadlift. We said a lot about like, you know, how my view on it, where it starts, the hinge, all that, but let's break the movement down. So I truly believe that just like you said, your grandma, everyone, every single person needs to be able to get this movement down.
0: And part of it is you're doing it in everyday life. It could be you're picking toys up off the floor. Dog poop example, you're picking up dog poop. You have nurses who have to bend over and potentially carry someone from one bed to another. You have people working in construction that are staying in a hinge position, maybe looking for something on the floor or trying to weld something. There's so many ways that you're using a hinge in everyday life that you might not even be aware of. Which leads to, are you aware of your form during it? Are mm-hmm. you unintentionally hurting yourself in everyday life within a improperly loaded hinge position?
1: Yeah. And the re- the big reason I believe everybody needs to be able to do this movement because it teaches the mechanic, like we said earlier, of a hinge. But when you load this hinge from a bottom starting position, so the weights on the floor, you get to build strength within the hips, the hips are probably one of the weakest areas in the in everyone's in everyone's body by is the word habitual habit I don't know if the word's habitual now I'm just trying to get to a little too smart but habitual maybe so maybe it's the word I
0: can' I don't ha- think habitual is a word is, uh, I think that's what this is some my this people is are my, when they don't this is my <laughs>
1: my three second moment of saying English is not my first language so if you've heard all the other episodes you know I got one one moment in each uh in each episode to say that but what I'm trying to say is we live in a society where, like, we sit a lot. We lay down a lot. We look for comfort. So, yeah, ha- there's, like, comfort in the, sh- in the sole of your shoes, a comfortable couch. Uh, nowadays, you know, I did some car selling, and they're, they're making sure, like, the seats are super comfortable and all that. So, we naturally put our hips in a place of more rest than use.
0: And we're very sedentary people. Exactly. We're not meant to be sedentary.
1: Exactly. So because of that, there's a lot of hip fractures as you start getting older. There's a lot of low back pain, which is, I, I did a study on this in, in college or a research paper. And it's like 98% of the population experiences a form of chronic, not just back pain. Like, oh, I'm, oh my back pain hurt once. They experience chronic ongoing ongoing back pain uh and it's all because we don't have strong hips and our hips are are firing and are functioning through the power of our glutes the biggest muscle in our body and that's another thing we see client after client after new client that they don't know how to activate their glutes they have no strength in their glutes so Learning how to hinge teaches you how to use and function through your glutes. There's three sections of your glutes. There three muscle groups within your glutes. Strengthens your hips. You have hip flexors. You have your QL, which we just talked about. You have the psoas, which the psoas is pretty much the opposite of the ql right instead of sitting back behind your behind your, your in your vertebrae in your spine it sits forward it's it's in front of your of your spine
0: a funny way to remember your psoas is if you don't take time for your psoas it's a pain in your ass. Mm-hmm. There you go. <laughs> also, the three muscles of the glutes are the gluteus maximus, the gluteus medius, and the gluteus minimus. Easy mm-hmm. peasy, love and squeezy. But there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. And there's some people that even consider glutes being part of the trunk, glutes being a part of the core. Mm-hmm. And it's no, they
1: are, they are a part of core, the, the core.
0: The, like when, yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I forgot what I was going to say. Um, it is crazy how many people will do these movements that are marketed as core pushed as glutes, but then they tell us like they don't actually feel anything in their glutes or we see the infamous butt squeeze at the top of a movement. And there's, there's a big difference. Like I'll tell people when you're rising up for a deadlift to, you know, pinch a penny or, you know squeeze the quads, but there's a d- big difference between pinching a penny and squeezing your booty cheeks so tight that your hips start to hinge forward and you make this weird arching with your body Yeah, and knowing how to actually work the certain muscles you're supposed to can take time. And it comes down to having that awareness of when you are doing a hinge, taking time to consider not just what you're lifting, mm-hmm. but where you're feeling it, where you should be feeling it. Right. Of when you are doing a deadlift, how much of your hamstrings do you feel activated? And those are the muscles that are on the opposite side of your quads between or right underneath your butt cheek, but above your, I'm going to call it a knee pit. <laughs>
1: In the back of your knee. The
0: back of your knee. So those muscles, it's crazy how many people don't ever feel those being activated. Mm-hmm. And
1: they don't feel it activated, but most people feel that stretch. So it's pretty crazy because, uh, and I'm going to go come back to what we're talking about, but a screening that we like to do is, and, and we take this a lot from one of our base certifications, but if you can't touch your toes with your legs straight without bending your knees, you shouldn't do a deadlift from the floor. So...
0: Yes, if you are not currently driving right now, obviously, as my rules always go whenever doing these assessments, please do not be operating a motor vehicle. That is obvious, but we still have to say those things. It is a really great way to see where your mobility is and you can even make a goal from it. So say if you take a video from the side and from the front and seeing what is the distance? Are you able to even touch your toes? Can you do a flat palm around the floor? And a th- big thing to consider is especially the length of your femur because mm-hmm. the length of your femur, the muscle that is between your hip and the top of your knee, if you have a longer femur, some of these movements are going to be harder than you compared to me who's a sh- little teapot short and stout mm-hmm. and close to the ground. And some of it might be yes, mobility, but you also have to work a little bit harder to stretch a little bit farther.
1: No. Yeah and that to, and that's something that like it's when we start you off and we just see okay well you can't even touch your toes well I'm not going to start you off with a with with the deadlift that starts from the ground. We'll do other variations and we'll talk about that. But uh, c- kind of going back to it the the deadlift just helps really structure your your body in, in so many good ways. So once your hips are, are are well strong, they have good range of motion, they're they're being basically um what's the word they're being greet you're greasing those those hips and making them l-
0: greasing the groove you're keeping yeah, them greasing from getting the rusty groove.
1: yeah keeping them from getting rusty you start to also develop some trunk stability and you just mentioned the trunk so some people f- see the glutes of the trunk um some some might start it from the hips i typically start the the trunk measurement from the hip to the shoulder but it could be part of the, the, the it could be part of your It doesn't really matter. Just knowing like your midsection gets stronger. That midsection means anything from the shoulders down to your glutes starts to become stronger. And you start to become more aware on how to um, have neutral back. How to, when your back truly starts to round or when it's overly arched, you build this awareness of like vertebrae by vertebrae control, which is so so hard if you've never been taught and and it's and you've never thought about it
0: well let's dive deeper into the idea of a trunk because when you say trunk i think of a tree and we're trying to strengthen a tree especially a small growing one you don't put stability t- sticks on the branches you put it on the trunk itself so mm-hmm. that way it's able to stand tall and able to eventually support itself and if you take it into that measure of people will so m- focus so much on their branches. My branches have to be good. My branches have to be strong. My leaves have to look good. That's great if you have pretty leaves, but your leaves aren't going to stay pretty for long if the trunk doesn't have the nourishment, support, and stability needed.
1: Mm-hmm. No, that's, a, that's an amazing example because you mentioned core earlier and one big misconception is that When you hear core, you 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 immediately 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 go into abs, and it's like six pack obliques, and although those are part of your core, any muscle that connects to your spine in one way or the other, it's considered a core because their their purpose their core purpose is to protect that spine, which has two. Uh, your biggest two nerves, all right we only have two nerves, two nervous systems. So it has your two nervous systems in that spine, and it protects it. So technically, neck, shoulders, traps, rhomboid, lats, QL, your your rib cage. Uh, well, your rib, the muscles around your rib cage. So you have your um, sure. s- your serratus, your serratus, which is like pretty much a little bit under your armpit. The, we can go on and on. Your glutes, going back to those. All those connect together to protect the spine, and that's ultimately your core. And that's when uh, if someone ever watches like a strongman competition, and these guys are so huge and picking up so much weight that they don't have a six pack because the last thing they care about is having a visible six pack. They care about having a super strong core.
0: There's some. It's crazy looking how much difference there is between what the bellies look like in different sports like the strongman belly versus a crossfit belly versus a bodybuilder belly like each of them have a strong core in a different way and it's just crazy to see how different it is and i guarantee you if and we the talk the
1: calisthenic belly as well is so different
0: belly, i guarantee if we talk to each one of those groups they would consider different core muscles. And it's hard because there's so many things of you could consider your pelvic floor and your diaphragm as part of it. Most people consider the main four to be the rectus abdominis, the obliques, transverse abdominis, and the erector spinae. But it's, there's so many other working components that go into it and there's so many different ways to strengthen it. But long story short, if your core is weak, it will affect the rest of your body Mm -hmm. and One simple way that kind of surprised me and caught me off guard, and I didn't really learn this until I started better studying uh, postpartum health, was a really common thing, common, not normal, common, is when there's a weakness in the core, you'll notice someone go for, say, like a hollow hold or even like a crunched position, and their belly would do this crazy pyramid, also known as coning. Mm -hmm. And... Basically, it's like one side of the core is trying really hard to work, and the other side isn't being activated properly, and it's putting a lot of extra stress. So, like your body will communicate with you when it isn't getting activated need or the activation it needs, but it's also gonna overcompensate of like, okay, I got this, I could do this, and then it ends up hurting you. And that's where having the balance of like having the squat and the deadlift are huge. But before we dive way too deep into this, like we already have. Let's talk about what are the different deadlift variations because I know I used to get super confused and sadly I've confused some of my clients in the past of there's conventional, there's RDL, there's sumo, there's caustic, there's single leg, there's single leg deficit, there's a rack pull, there's so many different deadlifts and you're like, where do I even start?
1: Yeah, my ADHD brain wants to go back to like the coding super quickly. And the way you, the way you like explained it was so awesome. And it reminded me of, and I think everybody's going to be able to visualize this because everybody went to school and saw this, but like tectonic plates. So tectonic plates can shift, they can spread apart, and they can like pretty much uh, stack upon one one another. That's when like mountains form and then when they spread apart is when valleys form or canyons. W- women, when, when they get pregnant, they experience the spreading apart of, of the core, which is the, oh my gosh, what's that called? Uh, diastasis recti. Exactly. The diastasis recti.
0: Abdominal separation, also known as DR.
1: Yeah. And, you know, men don't really experience that, but men can experience as well coning. I have a client that's had some coning. Uh, females after pregnancy can experience coning because of they had that spread for a while and it's they 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 can stack upon one another. They can really throw off a lot of things. They can throw off your hips. They can weaken your weaken a lot of other areas. So, it's super important to be aware of it and and, and have a coach that helps you find that balance or if you don't have a coach, just follow someone that helps you establish that balance. Like you do.
0: I'm pretty great. I'm just going <laughs> to throw that out there. I've had two kids. I have a lifetime of knowledge, but um No, it's, it's huge. And it's, it is pretty common. I've even seen it with people in their 20s that haven't had any pregnancies prior to it's just almost like you're trying to force a movement too fast that your body isn't yet ready for. And even though it doesn't hurt, it's definitely not benefiting your body. Yeah. And there's different ways that you can check for the separation of usually they base it off your fingers, whether it's like one finger. I had a client where it used to be like four fingers and we got it down to two, which was phenomenal, but took almost two years of training and her being very intentional, not just what we did in session, but what they did outside of session as well. But your body's always trying to communicate with you.
1: Exactly. And as you, as your body starts communicating with you, just like you said, there's different variations of that lift and these different variations of deadlifts are going to are going to tell you things and you want to do them for specific reasons of like one maybe training an imbalance two training a area of um, limited mobility uh, three maybe you're just training for your own personal competition or an actual competition and there's there's more of like the powerlifting mentality of deadlift there's the functional, um, outlook of deadlift, you might have a little bit of, no, 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 you might, you actually, there is the, ba- the, the bodybuilding, um, look on deadlift, which body in, in bodybuilding it's mostly uses like they usually just use the RDL or the Romanian deadlift to really target that hamstring so that when they're on stage, you can just see a quality hamstring, but you don't really see bodybuilding focusing on a deadlift. Uh, In a functional aspect or even in a powerlifting aspect. So, uh, so many variations. And which one, which one should you try? Which one should you do? Which one is the, your starter?
0: I feel like most people, we start them with a kettlebell RDL, which is your feet are about shoulder, hip width apart. You have the kettlebell right in between your feet. Shoulders go back and you lift from there. Um, That's the most common. There are some people, depending on their strength, we might set them up with a trap bar, which that's going to be, it's the one that's shaped like a hexagon. And the nice thing is your center of balance. So sometimes with a deadlift, you feel that shift of weight because you're kind of pushed forward and you have to put a lot more weight in your heels. The nice thing with a hex bar is it's kind of right in the middle of your body. And you can also copy the same... Feel almost with a farmer carry style of a kettlebell deadlift. It won't feel the same.
1: Which is a kettlebell on each hand or a dumbbell.
0: Kettlebell or dumbbell. I like the kettlebell. Well, I am shorter just so I can. I typically am able to touch the The floor. I have a greater range. Mm -hmm. Um, But yes, you can do it with a dumbbell. And then if you aren't able to go full range without putting too much pressure on your low back, you can do what's called a deficit or sorry, not a deficit, you can do it to a certain shortened range Mm -hmm. where you have like a pad or even plates where you just go to that certain range and then you stand back up. But if this idea is like, I don't think this is for me, some of the strongest deadlifting people I've met, like in actual real life, not like on a TV show competition, in real life are grandmas. Grandmas who deadlift. I love this group of humans. I just think they're wonderful and phenomenal because there's just something so like they're baddies. They're baddies to the core. And there's a different mindset of I want to be able to play with my grandkids. And it's crazy. One of our absolute favorites, she has my heart, Dixie. She changed my mind when it came to deadlifts of... When I became a trainer at that location with her, I still was a little bit unsure I liked a deadlift, but I didn't know how much I could push people with it. And then when I saw her doing way past her weight and feeling so confident with it, I just looked at her and I was like, I'm going to be like you. You are who I'm aspiring to be when I'm older. And Well, tell
1: tell everybody how old Dixie, not like her exact age, but in what age category she's in.
0: She was, how old was she at that time?
1: So at that time, she was in her late seventies. Okay. Yeah, she's in her late seventies. She might be now like either just hit recently hit eighty, but she she was above seventy five for sure. You know she had she had kids that were grown up. She had grandchildren.
0: I think she had her, kids our age. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah, kids are about our eight no older, older, because she had grandkids too. Um, and her, her and her husband just phenomenal people and. They loved deadlift, and they, they stood by how amazing it made their body feel. And we, you know, we got to we get, we actually bought her GHD from her, from her and her husband. And one of the saddest thing was when she told us she wasn't able to deadlift anymore because of her arthritis. She and had osteoarthritis. Osteoarthritis, and she was having like uh um her locking her hands, so like. She couldn't really hold on to a bar. So her favorite thing was deadlifting heavy. Like she loved deadlifting heavy. And we're we're talking about like her body weight and more. I th- I, th- I believe it on a hex bar. I think she was in the two hundred pounds.
0: She like yeah, I said, it she was, was cool. amazing. It was it was awesome. But she didn't quit deadlifting because it she got hurt. She had to just because of age. Yeah. But she maintained it for a really long time and my understanding with her wasn't that she was lifting since her twenties. She started later in life. And it's been amazing to see how many of these people that learn, hey, you can start training after 30 and your life is going to get even better from there. Like you Mm -hmm. don't have to start in high school. You don't have to start now. Sure, it'll help. But if you don't start till later on in life, that's okay. You might surprise yourself with the amount of strength you didn't know you had. And why, why wait any longer? If you have the opportunity to take it on, and there's ways to modify it. Like Dixie, they I know for a fact they started her off at a kettlebell. They didn't just say, Hey, you're gonna do your body weight right now. They eased her into it. Even with and she had
1: she had she had been in that gym for many years. I mean, we when we when well you when you started working there first, but then when I came in, like they had already been in business for over ten years.
0: Yeah, I think they just celebrated like fifteen years or something. And
1: she had known them for, for many years, like, she had been with him for many years before that, like, close to, like, the beginning, and, you know, her style wasn't, she wasn't doing trap bar, so it was, like, she wasn't putting herself in the position of a possible injury where, like, that weight is falling forward, like you said, it was, it, the trap bar that deadlift centers that in, in your body, center of gravity, it's so much better to pull, If you're if you're trying to be a little more conservative with your with your lifts.
0: I'll also put it out there like if that is how you prefer to deadlift, because that's also really important. It's not just like what's the best one for this? What's the best one for that? Like, what is your preference? If someone loves trap bar, don't give them crap. If someone absolutely loves to pull sumo, don't give them crap. Like find a way that hinge that makes you (laughs) feel good. But also you don't look like a dog pooping.
1: There's this, like, ongoing war between sumo deadlift and conventional deadlift. And, you know...
0: Either way, the weight's going up. Yes, it might be a shorter range, but that weight is going up. Don't do the splits to do it. But sumo doesn't have to be that wide of a stance. The
1: the interesting thing is, for those that don't know, so on a sumo deadlift, you stand really wide. You want your toes point about 45 degrees, and you want your knees to follow that point. Don't want the knees to cave in forward. And your range of pull is much shorter so when you lift that entire bar off the ground you're coming about three to four inches maybe even more shorter than what a, a traditional conventional is because of the width of your stand so in power lifting people are always crap talking on sumo's like oh that's not the real lift. like that's not that he oh he lifted that pr but with sumo and the funny thing is like in one of my programs is i combined you know it i combine not in one. Actually, in all my programs, I combine conventional and sumo. And the funny thing is, I have them lift conventional first. And this is more advanced, though. Conventional first, and then I tell them try when you when we get to the sumo part, try to almost match your conventional weight. And no one can, because sumos are actually hard as hell.
0: No, they are so hard, and especially they if you have a weaker groin, groin area. If you cannot no if you can't push your knees out it is so freaking hard. So after I actually started doing sumo I was like, "Wow, these are hard. It's almost like muscle ups. I want to make fun of muscle ups all day long cuz you look like a dolphin the minute I try I'm like, "Wait, actually this takes some technique and this is hard." Okay, I'm going to stop crap talking something that I don't even do.
1: Yeah, su- there's most people that don't train sumo they cannot lift the same weight on a, of a of their PR conventional as a sumo at all. Very very little amount of people can do that, and the same thing those goes for those that are working on their PRs and are maximizing sumos. They can't they can't always maximize that same sumo strength in in conventional. But it's just so interesting because I've had so many people like crap talk it, and then I put them on this program and they're like, "Wow, sumos are actually very difficult," and because they're so difficult. I introduced them very, very early to clients that have had an experience with low back pain, sciatic pain, and weak hips because the sumo really, really helps to strengthen those deadlift th- those areas of your body through that deadlift.
0: But once more, they need respect because if you move like crap, you're going to feel like crap. Yeah. Put that on a sticker. <laughs> While we're getting really sassy, I'm going to throw this out there. I want to get a real saucy discussion out of you at what point should you start doing a mixed grip so those who aren't familiar with a mixed grip typically when you're doing a deadlift with a straight bar you have your palms facing towards you mixed grip is you take one hand and you face it the opposite way really locking it in typically this is done when the weight gets heavier so at what point should someone mix grip and at what point to add on more sass should you have a weight belt
1: okay I don't have any sass against mixed grip. You don't? No. I honestly, I don't really care. I I, I, I it doesn't. I honestly don't care because in the end of the day, whether you're mixed gripping or not mixed gripping, the important thing is that your lats are engaged during your deadlift. So if you can't engage your lats, then that's a whole different problem. But in a competition, they don't care if it's mixed grip. And life doesn't really matter if it's mixed grip. Um, so I don't really care. I, r- I really have no no preference or care. If someone's forearms are extremely weak and they just can't hold on to a regular grip, which is palms facing them so the, like the body, then maybe I'll have a little concern on the sense of like, wow, like if you can if you're barely lifting you know 95 or maybe your body weight if you're just if you're lifting your body weight on a dead load and you're having a hard time keeping the palms facing you because your forearm or your grip can't hold it maybe i'll say like you're not ready for your body weight yet but even with that like if the whole mechanics are functioning well their back isn't rounding their lats are engaged they're driving initially through the legs and then finishing the power through through the hips i don't care what kind of grip they use
0: interesting yeah i'm a brat i feel like until you start getting to an RPE of 7, 8, 9, 10, you should not mix your grip. Like you should be able to have that strength and do whatever you can to mm-hmm. get to there. And there are some people and you hit the nail on the head of if they don't have the proper lat engagement, doing that mixed grip is only going to make it worse. And you might notice that there is a slight side that feels a little bit off. It's not guaranteed yeah. as long as you know how to control it. But I'm of the camp of if you, like, you shouldn't warm up with a mixed grip. That's a personal thing. Yeah. I think you should aim to improve your grip with that. When it comes to using, like, the wrist straps, I think that's, like, a professional sport thing. I don't, I think that depends case by case. You work more with those than I do.
1: Yeah. So, with the wrist straps, and I'll come back on to the, to the, the weight belt. belt belt. Yeah, the weight belt. With the wrist straps. I believe they also, they do have their time and place. So, for example, if I'm training with the purpose of, uh, of I'm training myself or a client with the purpose of really hitting an RDL, Romanian deadlift, which is more dominant in the hamstrings and the glutes by keeping your hips higher up, the weight is not a ton and you're working for more volume. I don't want the forearms to compromise the hypertrophy or the stimulation that the hamstring glutes can get. So I don't want someone to be like, be like, I can't make it to 20 reps or whatever because their grip is given out. So t- I'm totally down for using a strap for that because my my goal there is not really my, – my goal there is not the grip. It's really the isolation of that muscle group.
0: That's fair. I Like it, I said, I don't it, have any it, strong feelings so yeah, I don't use it as much. Yeah.
1: If we're talking like PR and you just want to hit this PR, I'm like – uh, about the wrist straps like uh, you should be you, if if you care so much about this weight and you want to lift it off the ground you should be strong enough to do it without a wrist strap at least for one rep if you if you're wanting to do this PR weight maybe for two three reps okay let's use the wrist strap but yeah I, I try not to really push the wrist straps at all now let's go back to belt which belt
0: before we get to that i'm just i'm building up the suspension for the belt i think the hard thing when it comes to any of these you know prime movements is how many bells and whistles can you add on of how many accessories do i need to execute them Mm -hmm. and i'm gonna throw out there first of i agree there's a time and a place in a belt there's a time and a place for wrist straps but if you feel like you cannot lift unless you buy any of these things or you have to buy these things tomorrow they're not a need they're not an absolute need they're a nice thing to have they are a luxury i'm gonna call them that they are a luxury to have they can help you get to the next level but they shouldn't be the only reason why you do obtain the next level yeah but diving into the weight belt because there's even some discussion on how like how it should fit where it should be if it should be higher if it should be lower (laughs) <laughs> explain the weight belt to someone who doesn't know because they might just be picturing a certain really scary principle, Trench bowl from Matilda.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, I see that. Um, okay, so weight belt. First of all, um, weight belt is not meant at all to protect your back. So many, many people believe the weight, the the belt is to protect your back. You also see a lot of professions like movers or warehouse fact warehouse workers that tend to lift heavy they have some form of a belt not so much of a weightlifting belt but a back belt those are two completely different things so many people tie in like oh i'm wrapping this around my my waist so my back is safe from this lift and that is the that is not the purpose at all of a weight belt so what is the purpose of a weight belt we use the weight belt so that our gut doesn't blow out of our stomach. You know, we're going to get kind of.
0: Sounds w- like some final destination Exactly, type of we're, stuff. We're,
1: we're going to get some some Halloween gush out of this. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but ultimately, true. that we, we use the weight belt to be able to properly create enough diaphragmic pressure where we're not creating any harm in our abdominal area. For potential herniation. Okay? Not disherniation, We're talking about a hernia. When a part of your intestine squeezes out of your gut. Because once again, those muscles kind of shift, they kind of have wiggle room, just like the tectonic plates that I visualized earlier, and a little bit of your of your um intestine will come out, and you have a little ball, and that's 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 a hernia. So we use the weight belt to a point where we are creating so much pressure, we need something to like stabilize that pressure and push back against it. And that's when a weight belt comes in. And to be honest, the human body properly trained with with patience and consistency should be strong enough. For the majority of the PRs that, that anyone's going to phase if they're not competing at a high, high, high level of competition. So that means 300 pounds, 400 pounds, about 415 to me, a male at 200 pounds should be strong enough to sustain that weight without a belt. If you need a belt for that kind of weight, you have not been training long enough, you have not been training consistent enough, you have not been training adequately enough for you to learn how to uh, have that diaphragmic pressure. And that's my kind of personal opinion because I see way too many people jump too quick to a belt and they start doing these lifts and they injure themselves and they're not even ready, ready. For that amount of weight that they're going to do. And they just believe that the, the belt is going to help them get that lift.
0: What's so funny is like if we go back to my injury from the sumo deadlift. I had been wearing a belt weeks week working up to it. And when I loaded that lift. Which one was way heavier than I had done. Two I had not had a belt. I had not been actually creating that pressure. Oh, ooh, things are clicking now. Things (laughs) are clicking. But even if you think about how everything comes back to the core, even if you think of how to properly brace your core, it's not sucking in. It's really not. People think I need to bring my belly button so far up into my back that it comes out my nose. No. Bracing, bracing is almost like pushing out, pooping. Yeah, it's almost like pooping when you deliver a baby naturally which i have not personally done my body is not meant to do that sadly you brace so hard that you most likely poop on the table sorry that is a reality <laughs> but the human body that's you know what we have awesome people that make sure everything else is under control <laughs> but bracing you can copy something similar one of the coaches we used to work with did this and i thought it was kind of cool he would take like a string and he would lightly tie it around someone's waist and have them feel the difference between bracing and creating that tension mm-hmm. versus sucking in. I was like, you know what? That's actually, that's pretty dope.
1: Yeah. Because, so the string was kind of like exactly, it wasn't too tight. It wasn't too loose. It was kind of just exactly the width of that, that uh the waist, the waist above the belly button. And as soon as you brace you realize like whoa I'm putting pressure against this. I'm not sucking it in where it falls down. It, it will yeah, it is a really cool technique. Another visual is the, the can the soda can. Yeah so that's a good one. if you take a soda can and it's you you've opened it and you stand on it, it's gonna flatten out like just boom, flat soda can. If that soda can has not been open and you stand on it, it's gonna be able to sustain your weight. Because there's so much pressure in there. And that's ultimately what we want to do with our diaphragm whenever we're doing a heavy deadlift or a heavy squat. And the belt is used in bench press. I'm not the biggest fan on a bench press for it. Um, But some people use it for a bench press as well. And once once again, when you create that pressure, you know how to do it properly. You really learn how to protect your entire trunk. So we're going back to that kind of trunk stability.
0: You want to know an even cheaper way Mm -hmm. to strengthen your diaphragm? It's my favorite. I make them do it every single time I do a workshop with National Personal Training Institute. You either get a balloon or you get a straw. I like the balloon better, but if balloons freak you out for whatever reason, straws work as well. You lie flat on your back. Your feet are planted into the floor. You wanna really push your back into the floor and you're gonna blow up a balloon. So breathing in through the nose, completely filling up the lungs and exhale until you feel your shoulders shake and you completely exhale. You wanna blow up the balloon as much as you can, basically before the point that it pops and counting how many breaths it takes to expand the balloon. Does it take three breaths? Does it take five? How many breaths to point where you feel completely out of breath? And you're going to notice one, a couple things happen. One, you're going to feel significantly more relaxed just because it is bringing your body into that rest and digest mindset. But two, you're actually learning how to breathe through your belly instead of bringing, uh, breathing out of your chest. Anyone that has done choir will completely rock this because we've learned how to sing from the belly instead of from the chest or from our head. There's so much more power that comes from belly breathing and taking time to do that, especially women that are postpartum, but even anyone that just wants to work on alleviating back pain, depending on the source, the Mm -hmm. cause of the pain, belly breathing is huge. Another version that i've seen is you take something lighter it could be a pillow or it could be like one of those five pound like pancake discs um they're like a weighted disc almost oh yeah i
1: know what you're talking about um
0: yeah. they used to sell them through spartan and you put it on your belly and you watch your belly rise and fall you,
1: like so te- you could do like a textbook
0: textbook is awesome yep um something that just doesn't move a ton so maybe you don't have like your your child or <laughs> your dog that's gonna go crazy pants yeah but you Same thing. You lay flat on your back. You let it rest on your belly. And the goal is to try to breathe from their belly. Let that rise and fall instead of your chest or your shoulders. Because you'd be surprised how many people kind of breathe through their shoulders. Mm -hmm. And it's really shallow. Just, (sighs) are you tired of my (laughs) breathing yet? If you have that weird (laughs) breathing thing, this is going to be a real rough time for you. But I'm done breathing into the mic. But taking time to just be intentional, whether it's with the balloon, with the book, you don't necessarily need the belt just yet i'm of the yeah. camp of the belt should be earned and i typically try not to use it unless i'm doing three reps or lower at an rpe of nine but yeah. that's the standard that you set for me of you shouldn't have to rely on the belt
1: yeah and i kind of have my own standard from for my clients so uh i was actually talking to one of my clients uh this week about it and he was asking me oh should i wear the belt now should I what the belt now and i told him i was like you know i i truly believe you should be able to do double your body weight without a belt like we sh- our bodies are capable of becoming that strong and you shouldn't rely on the belt cuz the belt will help will help with strength it will help with focusing your strength so that's why some people will put a belt on and they can lift like 20 to 60 pounds more because it helps, it does help focusing on the strength. Because there's so much mental, like when you're trying to brace the core and tighten the lats and have the glutes engage and there's drive through so the ground. Many things that go and, through your brain. And, and yes, it does help. It does help. There's a difference from a competitive level and an everyday person that just wants sustainable and attainable health. So he asked me. He was like, "Wait, so you're saying if you weigh 300 pounds, you should be able to do 600 pounds without without a without a belt?" And I was like, "Okay, that's fair." That's a fair question. Um, it's like no, gravity still gravity. So just because you weigh three hundred pounds doesn't mean that you're automatically six hundred pounds isn't gonna feel like anything. So I told him, on average, most 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 people are, are like are between one hundred fifty and 270. You fall fall within that range. I truly believe that you should work up to be strong enough to do. That deadlift at a single rep, uh, double your body weight with no belt, totally doable. If you injure yourself or hurt yourself, it's because during your during your process you weren't patient enough. You rushed it. You didn't do other fundamental movements that will help you. So I'm from the mindset of more functional. Uh, powerlifting. so i adding like carries i add in suitcases to my to my to my to my client's um
0: suitcase carry for those who are unaware, it's just a one-sided farmer carry so you have just one hold but you still keep the shoulders parallel to the floor
1: exactly uh i do a lot of hi- reverse hyper work i do um a lot of hollow holds and just i add in a lot of things that are going to help prepare that trunk stability so uh, no. Yeah. And I think even for females, I truly believe the same thing. Like, I believe that a female should be capable of lifting her, bo- her double her body weight without a belt.
0: We're working on and, it. And,
1: and like female and male strength have a different uh, like a standard. So uh, in powerlifting, typically there's different standards. But one thing that I use throughout throughout every single person that I train is body weight percentage. So... When I'm working a, I'm introducing a deadlift. Sometimes I'm like, "Hey, hey, this is the first time we're doing a kettlebell deadlift. I want you to recognize that this is a quarter of your body weight, so you know what it feels like." And then eventually, I'm like, "I grab, I, I move those kettlebells to half of their body weight." For a male, that's two hundred pounds. I don't have a hundred pound kettlebell, so I don't move to a hundred pound kettlebell. But when I'm at when I'm at a gym training somebody or if I just do it uh, RDL, I'm like, yep, this here is half of your body weight. And then we move to three quarters of your body weight and then to your body weight and then that. And then that's how I would help all my clients become strong through what their current body weight is. And if they lose weight, I tell them, hey, guess what? So you right now, you're working a quarter of your body weight on this deadlift. But as you start losing weight, this quarter is going to become like half or okay, that's a huge that's a huge jump, but it's gonna become more than just a quarter. And if you consistently work on this strength, and you're losing a little bit of weight, we're gonna get to the point where you're lifting like your body weight in uh, in deadlift, like it's nothing because you were working on it when your body weight was heavier. Now it's lighter, and when you become accustomed to using your weight and deadlift and i'm also going to throw in squats and i'm also going to throw in um bench press when you're accustomed to working those percentages then it becomes like an everyday just natural strength and that's the coolest freaking thing when you're like oh yeah i'm this is just my body weight now like this is no big deal this is my warm-up or this is my this is my second set where i introduce my body weight rather than introducing it in your fourth set and it becomes the coolest freaking experience.
0: I was trying to see what the deadlifting standards were. And I feel like the website looked like wasn't very accurate because I've tried, I tried to really tread around like my weight on here. I'm just going to say it. Sorry if it comes across (laughs) the wrong way. Uh, I really am. Why would it come
1: across the wrong way?
0: Sometimes people get weird when it comes to women's body weight. So as of right now, I am 127 after eating a very big dinner. I usually weigh between... End of the day. End of the day. I usually weigh between... I fluctuate between 125 and 129, depending on, you know, my cycle. And according to this, you know, strength log website, apparently novice can deadlift 177 at that weight. And advance would be 246. So I think women, the goal is... Weight and a half. Yeah, weight and a half. But... When I looked at like the competitions back when I was, you know, deep into wanting to compete, the people in my weight class shoot like well over 200, closer to 300. So even though like I would be considered advanced for my weight class, the current competition, I'd have to be way leveled up. But just considering what my weight is and the amount I'm able to pull. So right now, like I'd say my safe Zone for conventional deadlift without a belt is about 210. Like 210 pounds for a 127 year old girl.
1: 27 pound a girl. 127 pound girl. Wow, that'd be crazy. 127 year old person deadlifting 200 pounds.
0: Now that's a deadlift. uh Yeah. Okay, t- sorry. I've used that juke way too many times and I'm only kind of sorry about it. But that even brings into consideration what weight to even start with. And that's why Mm. I love that. The fact that you brought up basing it off of your body weight, something I do a lot with moms, postpartum moms, especially, but anyone in general, that's new to the fitness space is if they have any pets, if they have any kids, any grandkids, I ask them how much do they weigh? Because if you have a six year old grandson who is crazy pants and he weighs about 60 pounds but you are afraid to deadlift anything more than 20 what happens if for whatever reason you have to pick him up or forbid he does the terrible thing of just going limp because he's in trouble we want to make sure that you can at least pick him up for reps if the example I gave earlier if you work in a hospital forbid for whatever reason you have to pick someone up off of the floor are you able to carry them in case of an emergency so knowing what someone's everyday life is like will reveal how much they should be hopefully able to carry within a safe way but if you're an everyday person where you know your job is seeing at a desk basing it off of percentage of your body weight is a really great way to start. I've noticed you start a lot of people typically at like a fourth of their body weight and then going to half, depending on what the lift is. Yeah. But then also that ties into okay, farmer you, sorry.
1: No, sorry. Uh farmer carriers are like a standard. A quarter, quarter and uh my that's my standard. The distance kind of changes or the time. But like whenever I have a new client it's, it's hey, what do you what are you weigh again? Okay. Let me find out what a quarter of your body weight is. This is what we're doing for farmer carry and or suitcase carry and then we're moving on from there and the thing is like it's you against you now it's not that like i'm giving them a weight and they're like oh my gosh my freaking trainer just gave me a heavy weight because he hates me like no no this was this is you against you and if you're not happy with two things uh, this is where like my super kind of asshole side of coaching comes out is if you don't like it, then there's two things that need to happen. You either need to get stronger or you need to lose weight. And it's not that I want to call you overweight or anything, but if you cannot hold a quarter of your body weight on a, on a, on a carry with stability in your body and you think that's heavy, well, newsflash, you're weak or you weigh too much. And that sounds so harsh, but it's a standard where that is actually me being very, very nice on a certain amount of weight because I weigh two hundred pounds, so half is a hundred pounds, a quarter is fifty pounds. I should be able to carry fifty pounds in one arm for a specific distance. If I can't do that, like my what? What's it's my worth more?
0: considering why, because it's why are you unable to do that? What is causing the weakness? Is the weakness due to? the lack of muscle strength. Is it due to extreme fatigue from another factor? If you are working towards this goal and you're really struggling with keeping it up, like is your testosterone low? What you're saying, the way you said it is harsh, but you warned people that that's how you are. You are very blunt in your delivery. But if you are struggling to work towards that goal, it's worth considering why. What is going on within your life that you're struggling with progressing. Is it the fear that's holding you back? Is it the lack of proper recovery? It, there's a big difference between, I just don't want to do it. And I'm physically incapable. If Mm -hmm. you're physically incapable, then make sure there's nothing underlying that's truly affecting it. If you just don't want to do it, take ownership of that. It's okay. I literally said multiple times, I don't want to do sumo deadlift, but I know that is beneficial for me. So it's something I'm going to keep working on when it comes to that sumo deadlift, especially postpartum adduction or, you know, any of the muscles in the groin area has been significantly weaker. Deadlifts were the hardest thing to get back postpartum. And it's one that I've had to be more intentional with, with anything. Whereas I know there's some people, especially those that have longer femurs, longer legs, you know, those glorious amazonian people that can actually reach cups from the top shelf where sumo feels more comfortable just because it does alleviate that back pain they're Mm -hmm. not forced into a range they're not used to other people they love the feeling of rdl with that closer stance because you really feel that stretch that strengthening of the hamstring but then like you said earlier with RDLs, they're better for volume. You can't really, you hit a point where heavy is just too heavy with RDL and you need to shift to that conventional where there's a little bit more quads involved. You Mm. sit a little bit deeper into it, which if you've been doing RDLs for super long, switching to conventional will feel really weird. And it feels like you're squatting. Like it's a whole mind fluff.
1: So an idea, if you want to visualize it is During an RDL, you just have a small bend on the knees and your hips do not change height. So if you were to stand against a wall and you're hinging, your hips maintain the same height against that wall the whole time. During a conventional, there's a slight more bend on the knees. We don't want to bend the knees too much though, but we drop the hips down. So your hips go down like four, five inches, maybe even like a whole foot, just depends on your height and when you lift that deadlift you are driving through initially your legs so that gives you a lot more strength to load up more weight and see these freaking amazing people pick up double double and a half their body weight in these competitions but in everyday life like you're able to just pick up your body weight maybe a body weight and a half maybe even if you want to stretch it to double but there are so many benefits to every form of deadlift
0: A too long, didn't read, simple. RDL, your legs are closer, you start from the top. Conventional, legs are slightly farther, but not crazy far apart. You sit a little bit deeper into it. Sumo, you have a slightly wider stance, but you're not doing a split against the floor. It is a shorter range of motion, but it is way more work for adduction, adduction? Abduction, abduction.
1: Both basically, honestly.
0: For the inner and outer part of your thighs. That does even tie into single leg movements, which I am a bit big advocate that we need to take time for unilateral weight. And if you've been following me, I've been obsessed over single leg deadlifts because the stronger you can be in each leg individually, you'll be even stronger together. And you also minimize the risk of overcompensation in one leg versus another because the last thing you want is to have one leg be super strong, one leg not be, and then your poor hips hate you. Mm -hmm. But simple unilateral deadlifts, my absolute favorite is what's called a wall supported RDL. The way you set up for it is you're about a couple of steps away from the wall and you put your flat foot against it that foot your heel should not reach any higher than the bottom of your knee Mm -hmm. and you want to focus on the heel on the wall as well as the heel on the floor with the most pressure as you hinge you're reaching towards the floor the tailbone to your crown should create a long and strong spine the entire way like any hinge, a really good way to practice it is you get a PVC pipe, or I've even used a broom. You bring it right behind your head, one hand behind your neck, one behind your back. You should create that straight line in any hinge movement. This one is no different. But we the biggest we, thing, sorry. Th- oh
1: no, no, sorry, I was gonna say the three point of contact, but I think that's what you're going for.
0: Three points of contact. The biggest thing you're gonna notice when it comes to the single leg variations, whether it's a full single leg RDL, kickstand, or wall supported, is people will often reach, which goes into this weird rounding instead of just going to their range. And so that would be the biggest thing. If you ever are one to record yourself, I'd say it's worth recording yourself when you're doing the single leg variation, because if you have back pain during it, there's a very good chance that your form might be a little bit wonky. The other thing to keep an eye out on, this is why I like the wall supported variation, is when you're going for a single leg, you'll notice people will do something called winging out or airplaning out where their hips will kind of become misaligned and their toes will go outward. You wanna make sure whatever variation you're doing that your toes are parallel to each other like a train track. So whether it's a kickstand, you take a couple steps out, the wall supported or straight back, but each one of these are going to one strengthen your hamstrings. They're phenomenal for your posterior chain in general, but it's going to let you know if you have one side that is stronger than another. And then my personal thing is whenever it comes to any unilateral movement, always start with the weak side first. That way you have more energy to put towards it. And eventually, eventually it will even out. It's not just moms that have what I call lazy stance or one side dominant, anyone can have it. It's especially bad in cycling, whether or not you want to admit it. Cyclists that focus on a lead leg, it's definitely, it definitely catches up to you. Um, you can check if you have a dominant leg through one of those body scans, but really I would say if you take time for the unilateral movement, seeing where your stability and strength are, your your body will give you feedback.
1: Yeah. And I th- I, going back to exactly what you said is, uh you wanna have you wanna have balance and symmetry during those single leg movements and the wall supported is really good at that. Um one thing about the wall supported, it's not it's a low it's a l it's a low load that puts very, very high um stimulation in yeah, those don't start in, off with a forty five pound those, uh, sandbag. In those glutes, like it is crazy. You can load it. You can load it with 15, 20 pounds and you're going to be like, holy booty cheeks.
0: You can like, do it body weight with a PVC pipe stuck in the floor. Yeah. Like you really don't need to load it heavy to feel it in your soul.
1: So it's, it's one of the reasons I really like that because it really teaches like, you don't always need a heavy load to be able to maximize the, the stimulation in that muscle group. It just needs to, you just need to do something that's going to activate it better and that wall really does it without even thinking. So, uh no, tons of variations of deadlifts and you know, it can be it become super complicated and you can get lost at it. If you're a beginner, just grab a kettlebell and do the RDL like you like you that you explained and get good with the kettlebell. Get good with multiple reps. Get good with pausing pa- tempo. Yeah, with pausing tempo, all those things. If you have the capability of increasing your kettlebells, like, get to the point where you can max out the amount of kettlebells. Like, two kettlebells that are 50 or 100-pound 100 kettlebell. You have that. Just utilize kettlebell in so, many, in so many ways on the RDL. And then take that kettlebell and go into sumos. Leave conventional for, like, last. Like, leave conventional after you feel super confident. You want to start leveling up. You want to start challenging your body. You want to. um,
0: You just want something extra. You feel fancy if you're competing.
1: Yeah. If you're not, like, don't worry about conventional. It is not the end of the world that you cannot do conventional, but as long as. You can stay
0: a trap bar for the rest of your life and be a happy camper. That's okay. Yeah,
1: exactly. So um, that's like my best advice if you're starting out. And you know what? If you're a veteran on deadlifting and you're like, I'll, I'll say myself, like, as an example, like, Someone's deadlifted a while and knows it, knows it really well. Well, guess what? Take it to that unilateral because a lot of guys and even just power lifters that have a ton of experience in sumo or conventional, they rarely, rarely, rarely ever do that unilateral. And as soon as they do it, they're like, holy crap, this is so hard. And one fun fact, this is so cool. I learned this in one of my certifications and I've done a little more uh, research on it, but one leg... On its own, it's actually stronger than two legs put together. So, yes, you earlier said, you know, you want to be strong in, in each individual, so you're strong together. That is truth on the balance aspect. But in the total output, two legs working together are actually not as strong as one leg. Look and, at a
0: basketball player. Do they jump with two feet typically?
1: No, there's one. So that's, a, that's actually... Uh, one of the sports like i got looked at during this study and it's that even football player the football players basketball players not so much in soccer uh i think hockey players they were all put to like uh doing single leg trap bar deadlift or single legs. uh um i think it was even squats like i can't remember what it was but they found like these guys were doing like 200 pound single leg deadlift so like if you're if you're if you're doing a single leg deadlift at 200 pounds you're gonna think okay well you got two legs you can easily do 400 pounds and like 400 pounds was relatively difficult for them so um there isn't like a ton a ton a ton of study on it but i've seen it and there's some really amazing videos of people that are uh amputees that do deadlifting and the amount of weight that they can do with the one leg it's is unreal on freaking real like i've see, i saw a video of a guy that was probably 180 something pounds, doing about 350. So if you think three, if you if you think you could do 350 with one leg, that means that you could do 700 with two legs. And you know this guy, there's no way in in the world that at 100 like 80 something pounds you could do 750 pound deadlift. Absolutely no way. So, anyways, that's my little rant. I learned that in actually one of my early certifications, and I was like, eh, this is not true. And then I started looking more into it, and I was like, whoa, this is actually is true.
0: It's true so key terms to think about when you are doing executing a deadlift obvious one is you want your crown to your tailbone aligned so stop looking at yourself in the mirror look down at the floor find a focal point
1: repeat that that's so true stop looking in the mirror
0: you're a cutie patootie but you don't need to watch yourself when you're deadlifting. so from your crown to your tailbone they stay nice and aligned cue number two that i want you to remember When you're standing up, I want you to crack the walnut. Don't hump the person in front of you. Don't hump the mirror. Just crack the walnut. So you're going to squeeze the booty. You're going to engage your quads. Don't make it weird from there. Last from a lot least that I'm going to add, if you want to add in any more, keep your shoulders back. Be loud and proud because you are lifting heavy weight and you are truly a baddie.
1: Yep. I I think that's the best one. Just shoulders back and like... Just really squeeze at the middle of your back through those shoulders. So like you draw them back to the middle, um, and that's your lats. They're they're so important in every form of deadlift. So um, hopefully hopefully there's some knowledge that people took out of this.
0: Dude, there's knowledge out of this. <laughs> if you don't think there is, then go back and listen <laughs> to it.
1: Yeah, hopefully uh, you know this, you got some good knowledge out of it. You can put it into practice, and we'd love love to hear some maybe deadlift stories of how this helped you. So. You know, shoot us a DM on, on Instagram and share. Please share, share this podcast, all our episodes. They're going to continue to help us grow and be able to reach uh, wider audiences. And
0: tell you sh- what, I'm going to be super full of myself right now because I'm feeling crazy confident. I want you to go ahead and post your deadlift. Whatever variation is your favorite one that makes you feel like a baddie. Include this podcast link in the bio.
1: Yeah. tag us. Share too. it
0: tag us let's see your deadlift yeah don't add, look like a dog pooping when you do it though
1: Add coach renee ayako you have add the garage coach or you could do add build body fitness build body dot fitness and uh we are going to be so stoked to see that deadlift, and we are more than happy to just help you elevate that deadlift in any way or form so
0: as of right now for those who are curious Um, When it comes to in-person training, this is as of October in 2023, I do have some availability when it comes to online, Luis, I believe you're taking a couple of online only, which if, especially if you're wanting to work on your deadlifts, he's a phenomenal person to work with however in person we have some things going on behind the scenes yeah. in which he's not taking on any clients but that being yeah. said if you ever have questions just shoot him a message directly in instagram he responds pretty quickly
1: yeah i know and i appreciate that and uh i actually love that you said you you brought that up because i just want people to know because i've had some people reach and ask me and it's like my my specialty and even your specialty is like that in-person awareness and that we can help you in your movement um so we do online training but if you really want to get like the best out of it if you really want to have like our experience like in person we have done virtual we do have some virtual clients but the virtual experience can be hard if you've also never had a coach before so all their virtual clients have worked with us in person at one point so if there's any way like that you can get here and that you're i mean that you're here in arizona in gilbert and you want to get with us like message us we could do a day session to break a bunch of things down you can jump in renee's availability uh because she has a, a, some more availability than i do but no remember like our specialty is that in-person quality training and we w- up, a preference and, and we want to give you that so uh, more than happy to do it online but it, w- once again in-person is our best so we appreciate you guys and thank you for sticking around for another episode of the strength beyond fitness podcast cheers